Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I'm Nate Fisher. I'm part of the team that works on Timeline, the home of history documentaries on YouTube. And I also happen to be a huge history nut. And this is Timeline Tapes. So what we do here at Timeline Tapes because we know that not everybody has time to sit down and watch a whole documentary, is we adapt them into podcasts with me helping out so that you can listen when you want, where you want. Now, we're in the middle of a season called Tony Robinson's Romans. Tony Robinson is a history host from the United Kingdom who started out in British comedy like Black Adder, and in this season, he's been looking at some of the most infamous names in Roman history. We've already covered Julius Caesar in our first two episodes, which are available to listen to now. But this one is all about Caligula, the emperor notorious for many things, but perhaps most famous for making his horse a member of the Senate. Little boots, aren't they sweet? The kind of thing which makes even the most macho man go gaga. 2,000 years ago, a group of burly centurions on the fringe of the Roman Empire made a pair of tiny shoes for a toddler, and they gave him the nickname Little Boots. The name stuck, and 20 years later, when the toddler became the Roman Emperor, he was still called Little Boots, or as they say in Latin, Caligula. Yes, that little toddler became Caligula, Rome's most evil and maddest emperor. A man famous for making his horse a member of the Senate, who sent his legions to the ends of the earth just to collect seashells, and who believed himself to be a god. A 100% pure maniac, capable of having his favourite singer flayed alive while complimenting him on the melodiousness of his screams. But was he really like that? If Caligula was so evil, why was there a public outcry when he was assassinated? And if he was bonkers, why did they make him emperor in the first place? So how mad was he? Deranged or just deadly? This is my attempt to analyse one of the most villainous minds in human history. Digging up archaeological evidence of the past is hard enough, but how do you start getting into the mind of someone who lived 2,000 years ago? Especially since many of the historical records of Caligula's reign have been lost. 
Much of what's believed or written about Caligula is anecdotal propaganda written after his time. What I want to do is try and build up a more balanced picture of him by sorting through the most reliable sources. By looking at the different interpretations, we can discover another Caligula. And to understand him, we have to look at his family and upbringing. Because even from the beginning, he's surrounded by myth. Caligula's passport to success was the fact that he was the son of a national war hero. In fact, there was a story floating around at the time that he'd actually been born in an army camp while his father was fighting a battle. The reality, though, is that he was born here in Antium in southwest Italy on the 31st of August in the year 12 AD. Antium, or Anzio as it's now known, was the Roman equivalent of the Hamptons, a summer playground for the super-rich just a little bit away from town. Caligula's real name was Gaius. He was the third son of a wealthy family, and if he didn't have his nickname yet, he had just about everything else you can imagine. His father was the legendary war hero Germanicus, who'd won the hearts of Rome with his conquest in Germany. But he was far more than a war hero. The Emperor Tiberius had adopted Germanicus as his heir. Caligula's whole life was to be influenced by the reflected glory of his father. His mother's side was no less auspicious. She was the granddaughter of the Emperor Augustus, whose charismatic leadership had made the concept of one-person rule popular in Rome. The Emperor-to-be and his wife were the dream couple and had the world at their feet. Although Caligula was their third son, he could never have predicted he'd become Emperor himself. We know Caligula was a sickly child and he was spoilt rotten, but he also seems to have been something of a prodigy. His father used to travel to the outposts of the empire and sometimes he'd take his whole family with him. Clearly Caligula picked up his father's diplomatic skills because at the age of six at a place called Assos, he made his first public speech. He was loved and adored by everyone. So it must have made it all the harder when the rug was pulled from under him. When he was just seven, everything started to go wrong for Caligula. On campaign in Syria, his father Germanicus fell ill and died. The tragedy of his early death sealed his mythic character. In people's minds, Caligula's father would always be the dashing young emperor Rome never had. Death made his reputation, but it doomed his family. Caligula's mother expected her eldest son to become heir, but instead the Emperor Tiberius chose his own grandson, Gemellus. Caligula's mother was furious, and in pushing her case, she made herself and her family deeply unpopular with the Emperor. Crossing Tiberius was dangerous. The early emperors had ruled through their own charisma. But Tiberius was a sour-faced bureaucrat who had no time for buttering people up. Under him, the empire had become a dictatorship. He'd alienated the Senate and he'd made enemies. In fact, he became so paranoid about plots that he moved his seat of power to Capri. But away from Rome, the remote emperor was even more terrifying. He ruled by proxy, with his Praetorian guards dealing swiftly with supposed threats like Caligula's family. The teenage Caligula was witness to a ruthless purge. First his mother and elder brother were exiled, and then his second brother was jailed in Rome. Farmed out to elderly relatives, 
Caligula was isolated politically and emotionally. All he had left in the world were his three sisters. With them, he formed an intensely close bond. So close, some people said the relationship was sexual as well. Then, in 31 AD, when he was 19, Caligula lost all family contact. He was summoned by Tiberius to his island hideaway here on Capri. As he arrived, he must have wondered what lay in store. Was he going to be an honoured guest or a political victim? If ever there was a place that could literally tip you over the edge, this is it. Tiberius was famous for his treason trials, which he used to hold in secret in his palace. Senators would be summoned here, they'd be dragged in front of the court and never seen again. Here, in the darkened corridors of Tiberius's palace, Caligula learned to be a politician. He turned himself from a threat into a protégé. He cultivated Tiberius, joining him enthusiastically in his intellectual pursuits and hobbies. How much of this was pretense, we'll never know. He never gave the game away. Although years later, people were to say of him, there never was a better servant or a worse master. The truth is that he must have been able to see the limitless power that was potentially available to him. So, however upset he might be about the destruction of his family, he was going to keep his mouth shut. What increased the tension was that he never knew for sure whether Tiberius was for him or against him. Had the emperor personally ordered his family's fate, or were they the victims of plotters back in Rome? Stuck in Capri, Caligula had no way of telling. He could hardly ask Tiberius, but events unfolded that suggested the emperor wasn't behind the plot. One day, Tiberius got a surprise present from an elderly female cousin. It was marked for your eyes only, and it wasn't the sort of present that you expect from a respectable relative. It was porn, Tiberius's favourite kind of read. But he got more than his usual eyeful, because inside she'd smuggled a message which told him the full extent of the plot against Caligula's family. Caligula may have hoped that this revelation would save his relatives, but although Tiberius purged the plotters, he made no attempt to free Caligula's family. In fact, far from it, despite Tiberius's hand-wringing, Caligula's mother was kept in exile, his brother in prison, until they both died. And to make matters worse, Tiberius publicly announced that Caligula's brother had been starved to death, and when he died, had been found clawing desperately at the hay of his own mattress. One of the key voices in this episode is Anthony Barrett, author of Caligula, The Corruption of Power. He'll be appearing a few more times in the episode, but first tells us a little bit about how Caligula may have responded to the death of his family. It'd be wonderful if we could get into the mind of Caligula while he was on Capri. He may well have blamed Tiberius for what was happening to his family. On the other hand, he may have been indifferent to what was happening to his family. We just don't know. And it's very possible that he saw the demise of his brothers as opening up an opportunity for himself and so was really quite indifferent to their fates. But his silent strategy towards the man who'd murdered his family paid dividends. The family's woes had started because Caligula's mother had pushed for one of her sons to be emperor. 
By a twist of fate, it was Caligula who found himself named as joint heir with Tiberius's grandson, Gamellus. 18 months later, on one of his brief visits to the mainland, Tiberius died in mysterious circumstances. A hundred years later, historians reveled in the rumours. They said that Caligula had been alone with Tiberius in his bedroom when he died. They said he had both the opportunity and the motive. There were no marks on the body, so the cause was either poison or a pillow over the face. And the further away from these events the stories were, the wilder the details became. Until finally, these later accounts became the official version. But the only source we have from the time specifically clears Caligula. The philosopher Seneca says that Tiberius died of old age. But who was going to be his successor? Tiberius had kept everyone guessing by naming Caligula and Gamellus as joint heirs. Throughout his reign, Tiberius had terrorised the Roman Senate, and now they'd have a chance to claw back some of their power. For them, there was only one candidate. There really was no competition between Gamellus and Caligula. Who would you choose? Gamellus, the grandson of a ruthless tyrant, or Caligula, the son of a national war hero who had the Praetorian Guard on his side. He stepped out of the shadows into the warm sunlight of power. But would it go to his head? History has left us a portrait of Caligula as the archetypal mad tyrant. But when he became emperor at the age of 25, there was no sign that he was unstable. Backed by the Praetorian Guard, and with a gleam of his father's charisma still bright, he literally had the world at his feet. Rome gave him a tumultuous welcoming home ceremony. The crowds that thronged the Appian Way leading to Rome were massive and wild with excitement. They were more like adoring fans than respectful subjects. Instead of bowing and curtsying as he passed by, historians tell us they shouted out names like Chick, Star and Baby. The army loved it. The family of Germanicus was back in power and the mob had got the son of their old war hero as their new emperor and superstar. In spite of his terrible reputation, everyone agrees that Caligula's first six months were a triumph and he could do no wrong. Tiberius had been a glum spoilsport, a mean, grey-suited administrator who denied the mob their fair share of entertainment. In contrast, after six years in silent terror on Capri, Caligula shared their enthusiasm for a bit of fun. His games and entertainments lasted from morning till evening. There were lavish gifts and an ambitious building programme. Money was no object. And he did the right thing by his family, bringing his mother's ashes back to Rome for a state funeral. People loved him for it and were happy to accept him as sole heir, even if it hadn't been Tiberius's will. We can certainly say that he was a talented young man. This is Anthony Barrett again. He, um, he had a lively sense of humour. He was very personable, very attached to his, uh, to his family and his, uh, in his youth. But he also had um, an irresponsible, reckless side to him. 
And the great tragedy, of course, is that there was no one to hold that reckless side in check. Historians tell us he was fanatical about chariot racing and wasn't content just to be a spectator, he liked to ride himself. This was something no well-bred Roman was supposed to do, but Caligula was emperor and he could do what he liked. He promised to return power to the Senate after Tiberius's autocratic reign, to abolish the dreaded treason trials, and he'd said he destroyed all the secret files naming the plotters against him and his family. For six months, the Senate and Caligula enjoyed a real honeymoon. To continue the conversation about Caligula, Tony is joined in Rome by Andrew Wallace Hadrill, former director at the British School at Rome and honorary professor of Roman studies at Cambridge University. You come into power and everyone is, 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 is wonderful to you. Yeah, yeah, uh, gives you stuff, everyone, in front Absolutely, of you. everyone wants you on their side. You're still an unknown quantity. And he, 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 he swims in this, he loves it. And he knows the right things to do. He knows that, that Tiberius was hated and that anything he can do to, to distance himself from what Tiberius was hated for will be good. Very soon, he has to cope with the problems of actually being emperor. And one should never underestimate how colossally difficult that is. So you think that Caligula was just incredibly irritated yes. by the day-to-day -day well, tasks he had to I, do? I think Caligula was enormously insecure with his, his, his upbringing in, in the Imperium. Tiberius' court is a real nightmare. People are murdering each other, plotting against each other. That must be true beyond any doubt, whatever exaggerations there may be in the historical sources. It's a ghastly place. He has no psychological basis for being a stable person to react to the real problems of being an emperor. Outwardly, the young Caligula put on a brave face for the Roman populace but the public exterior disguised the complexity of his feelings. Behind the mask of the successful young aristocrat lurked a very different personality. He was dark and brooding. He wandered the corridors of the palace late at night, his dreams racked with nightmares. He was intelligent but highly strung and lurched from happiness to deep despair in an instant. When he spoke, he spoke uh, rapidly without stopping, um, very, very eloquently, but, uh, but he would be carried away by the power of his, uh, of his own rhetoric. Here's Caligula scholar Anthony Barrett again. He seems to have been very, very impatient with individuals around him, very, very sarcastic. So he was a man, I think, who found it very difficult to relax. The last six months had been all too much for Caligula. The release from repression, the emotion, the excitement took their toll on the highly strung emperor. In late September, he suffered some sort of breakdown. We don't know whether the illness was mental or physical, but we do know it took him out of circulation and it marked a turning point for Caligula. For three months, it was touch and go. As news filtered down from his palace on the Palatine, the empire held its breath. People slept out in the open in the shadow of the palace waiting for press releases. It was a bit like the death of Princess Di. The whole nation seemed consumed by depression. 
over-enthusiastic aristocrats made rash promises to the gods that they'd fight as gladiators or commit suicide if Caligula would only recover. Later, they must have wished they'd kept their mouths shut. Early the following year, Caligula appeared to make a full recovery. There was joy and relief all round the empire, but it was a very different Caligula who emerged from his enforced isolation. And the first victims of this changed personality were the toadies who'd wished so hard for his recovery. The man who'd volunteered to fight as a gladiator if Caligula recovered was forced to fight in the arena several times before he was finally released. As for the volunteer suicide victim, Caligula kept him to his word. He was prepared for sacrifice, dressed in sacred garlands, trussed up, and paraded through the streets till the procession arrived here at the banks of the Tiber prior to the victim being cast into the waters as a present to the gods. Except, of course, that Caligula had absolutely no intention of killing him. He just wanted to teach him a lesson for being such a creep. So at the last minute, he let him off. It was as though the illness had made scales fall from his eyes. Caligula saw that the tide of affection was shallow hypocrisy, and he was disgusted by it. While some had pleaded for his survival, others had hoped for his death. And to Caligula, they both looked very much the same. While he'd been ill, the Senate had planned who would take over if Caligula died. The natural successor was Tiberius's grandson, Gemellus. It was a sensible contingency plan, but to Caligula, it looked suspicious. Was there a plot, or was he paranoid? Either way, Gemellus had to go. In ancient Rome, you didn't send soldiers to kill someone for their misdeeds. You sent them to make sure the guilty party killed themselves. Soldiers were dispatched to tell Gemellus that he'd been found guilty of masterminding a plot against Caligula. Although from what followed, it was clear he was hardly up to the job. Poor old Gemellus, not the brightest bulb in the pack, was given a sword and told to dispatch himself, but then had to be shown how to do it. Caligula's bubble had burst. What did the adulation and praise add up to if they wanted to replace you just for being ill? From now on, he'd take a cynical line. If they don't care, I don't either. No one would ever be allowed to let him down again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Timeline Tapes. We are rejoining Tony back in Rome, who's exploring just why Caligula was more than just mad. So far, the Caligula we've found hasn't been simply insane. Our interpretation of the anecdotes about him has uncovered a far more complex and devious character than that. The illness that ended his six months' popularity was followed by another blow to his psyche, the death of the person he was closest to in the world, his sister Drusilla. He'd always had an unnaturally intense relationship with his sisters, especially Drusilla. And when she died in 38 AD, he was devastated. He was too stricken to attend the funeral rites and instead took himself off to the country, refusing to cut his beard and hair as a sign of mourning. There's very little in contemporary accounts to back up later allegations of incest, but his sister's death broke something in Caligula. Public games and festivities which had made him so popular were banned and Drusilla was declared a goddess. Her statue was set up in the Temple of Venus. It's the Caligula that emerges from this period of mourning that gives us all the memorable anecdotes about him. These are the stories that have given rise to the belief that he was utterly mad. But you can learn more about Caligula by setting them in context. His feasts were legendary, with loaves of bread made of gold and pearls melted in vinegar to drink. We know this to be true, but luxury and excess were normal for a rich Roman. It's said Caligula would take any senator's wife he fancied away from the feast and then come back and give the table a lurid account of what he'd just done to her. Or he'd undress his own wife in front of company to show what a lucky man he was. But it seems to me that this only proves he had a viciously sadistic streak, not that he was mad. Even though he loved his wife, he'd often kiss her neck and whisper in a musing way, off comes this very attractive head whenever I choose to say the word. But what's revealing is how often the butts of his sadistic humour are the people he saw as his political enemies, members of the Senate. In one story, three obsequious senators are summoned to the imperial palace late at night. Not good news at the best of times. They're ushered into the emperor's private theater and they sit there, not knowing whether it's execution or exile. When suddenly, the curtain opens, Caligula prances on stage, does a bit of a song and a dance act, then disappears without comment into the night, presumably really pleased with himself at the terrifying effect of his practical joke. He wasn't just interested in humiliating individuals. When he came to power, he promised to work with the Senate. But after his breakdown, he saw them all as enemies. And it wasn't just paranoia. He'd grown up believing that it was Tiberius who'd killed his parents, but when he searched through the records, he discovered the role that the Senate had played in going along with it. He turned on them viciously. He entered the Senate here 
and launched a fierce and confrontational attack. He said that he'd actually still got the documents which he'd said he'd destroyed. They told him that all the people that Tiberius had tried and killed were in fact guilty. Not only that, but they named some of the co-conspirators who'd done for his family. Given these revelations, Caligula said he was going to reinstate the treason trials to find the rest of the culprits. He ended with the words, let them hate me as long as they fear me. On both counts, the senators did. The Senate is full of precisely the power brokers of the Roman Empire. If anyone is going to be powerful, going to be doing anything, they're going to be in the Senate. And so, of course, his friends and his enemies are going to be in the Senate. A wise emperor plays down the enemies, ignores them, marginalizes them, and plays up the friends. Caligula does the one thing you should never do, which is rant against the Senate as a body. Caligula despised the sham of democracy in the Roman system. One of the most famous stories taken to prove his madness was in fact a deliberate slur on the Senate. It's said he wanted to make his favorite horse, Consul, the highest office in the land. But he never did. It was an insulting joke. Even my horse could do a better job than you lot. At the heart of Caligula's story is a conflict between two visions of what the emperor was supposed to be. The Senate believed the emperor was only there with their permission. Caligula saw himself as the inheritor of Augustus, a member of the imperial dynasty with a divine right to rule. He could command fear, but not loyalty. And back in Rome, problems were brewing with an increasingly excluded Senate. Later that year, a widespread plot was discovered. Caligula's reaction shows that he still had a firm grip on reality to act in a political crisis. The plotters were killed or exiled, and in response, Caligula came up with a brilliant plan for restoring political stability. An emperor with control of the army had control of the Senate, and there was nothing the legions liked more than a successful leader like Julius Caesar or Caligula's own father, Germanicus. Caligula decided to emulate them and launched a campaign against the barbarians. This was no exercise to please the vanity of a lunatic. Securing the German frontier was a strategic action. Caligula had bases all along the Rhine where troop movements were well planned and well thought out. What he did was to carry out brief raids across the river at the head of his troops. He probably didn't kill a single German himself, but the fact that the emperor went into battle personally not only restored the spirit to his men, it also made them loyal to him. In Rome and throughout the empire, they honored Caligula's success with special games and celebrations. He'd proved himself as a soldier and a tactician. Caligula had got the army on side and he could do what he liked. But then he went and spoiled it all. Caligula had been emperor for three years, but he was still only 28. Coming to absolute power had corrupted him. With a mercurial temper and a sadistic humor that no one understood, he was like a spoilt child given the power of life and death. And he looked the part of a madman. He was tall with spindly legs, a nervous face with deep-set eyes, and he made it worse by pulling scary faces in the mirror. He was so embarrassed about his thinning blonde hair 
that he made it illegal to stand above him so no one saw his bald patch. Altogether, a damaged, insecure human being, but an emperor, and one who seemed increasingly unstable. As soon as he returned from his botched invasion of Britain, he launched another scathing attack on the Senate, demanding that they recognize his true status as a god. He built a lodge here on the Capitoline Hill near the Temple of Jupiter because he wanted to be close to the god who was his role model. He commissioned a life-sized gold statue of himself as his favourite god, which he dressed up in different clothes every day. But not content with that, he used to stand in the forum between the statues of the various gods pretending to be Jupiter, so that he could get a bit of worship himself. It's difficult to tell how seriously Caligula took all this. When a simple working man told Caligula he was acting like an idiot, the emperor just laughed. But Caligula's demands that the Senate recognize him as a god were far less outrageous than you might think. The Romans had many gods. His great-grandfather Augustus had been deified after death, and for centuries, Eastern rulers like the pharaohs had been seen as living gods. Caligula's claims weren't delusions, but demands for additional status. But this further alienated the Roman elite, who still believed that the emperor should essentially be just another citizen. Caligula's demands to be recognized as a god, and his consequent contempt for other people's beliefs, would spark a potentially deadly conflict in the furthest reaches of the empire in Alexandria in Egypt. In 40 AD, Caligula's anti-Semitism and his blind desire for immortal status came to a head. He demanded that the most sacred place in Judaism, the Temple of Jerusalem, should be converted to an imperial shrine. And in the Holy of Holies would be a giant statue of Caligula as Jupiter. The announcement caused pandemonium. There were riots in Jerusalem. But the way Caligula reacts following the event shows that even if he was a self-promoting bully, he was still sane enough to make a diplomatic U-turn. Caligula's attitude towards the, uh, the Jews uh, softened considerably, and in fact he rescinded his order to have his statue erected in the temple. He was persuaded that it would cause a great deal of distress and probably a great deal of civil disorder. So, in the end, it's clear that Caligula could still behave uh, rationally, strategically and sensibly. It didn't matter how unpopular an emperor was with the Senate if he retained the loyalty of the Praetorian Guard. So only a fool would deliberately alienate their commanding officer. Caligula was that fool. The boss of the Praetorian Guard was a tough soldier called Kyria, but he'd got this thin, reedy voice, and so the emperor used to tease him for being a bit of a girl. For instance, if Kyria had to thank him for anything, the emperor would hold out his hand to be kissed and then whip it away at the last moment and give an obscene gesture. Or if Kyria had to ask him what the password of the day is, Caligula would say that it was something obscene like Venus or Big Willie. Let's hope Caligula enjoyed the joke because he paid for it with his life. 
The assassination took place at a temporary theatre here on the Palatine. Caligula had come to watch his favourite actor in a play. He was in high spirits. There was the sort of carnival atmosphere that had made him so popular. There were no reserved seats and the theatre was in chaos. Free gifts of fruit had been distributed to the crowd and this attracted the exotic birds laid on for public amusement. The show began with Caligula sacrificing a flamingo that spattered his toga with blood. It was an omen. The conspirators waited for Caligula in one of the tiny alleyways leading out of the theatre that was so constricted that his bodyguards couldn't protect him. At lunchtime, Caligula usually went home for a bath, and as he left the throne, the senators held the crowd back, showing proper respect for the emperor, although actually they were making sure that the bodyguards couldn't protect him. When Caligula got to the alleyway, he stopped to talk to some dancers who were rehearsing there, and it was at that moment that the plotters struck. Kyria came forward and asked for the password. Caligula delivered his usual taunts and Kyria slashed him between the neck and the shoulder. Groaning, Caligula tried to get away, but he was stopped by a hail of blows from the other senators in the conspiracy. He was stabbed no less than 30 times. Then the plotters fled the scene and the bodyguards went wild, stabbing both plotters and innocent bystanders. Meanwhile, the conspirators also went on the rampage. They stormed into the palace. They wanted to ensure that Caligula had no heir, so they stabbed his wife, then took his baby daughter by the feet and dashed out her brains against a wall. Next day, the Senate met in great excitement. It seemed that this was their chance of regaining ultimate power and re-establishing the Republic that had been destroyed by Julius Caesar. But just like the senators that had killed Caesar, they'd underestimated the people's affection for their emperor. Even the most hostile sources record that the crowds at the theater were stunned by the news of Caligula's assassination. Now they turned up on the streets in anger to demand a successor to Caligula. Even Claudius, Caligula's stuttering uncle who became the next emperor, was preferable to the Senate. Caligula's killing proved he was no god, but the mob's reaction is the final evidence that he was far more complex than a cardboard cutout lunatic. So was Caligula mad? He was certainly calculating and cruel with a strong streak of sadism, although I doubt if any judge today would section him. But in a way, isn't that worse? This bright, young, manipulative man who thought he could get away with anything, but when his manipulation brought him supreme power, it turned him into even more of a monster. Caligula came from a long line of revered military men, but instead of glory on the battlefield, he chose to fight with everyone, even the Senate. If anyone was mad, it was the senators themselves for thinking that the son of a hero would be a hero too, rather than the paranoid young sadist he actually was. In the end, it was them who paid the price for his short, sharp and brutal career. Thanks for listening to Timeline Tapes. Next time, we're finishing our season of Tony Robinson's Romans with an episode about the tyrannical, extravagant, and matricidal Emperor Nero. So, if you can't get enough history content, you can always visit our YouTube channel. 
where we've got hundreds of world history documentaries for you to listen to and enjoy for free. If you want to reach out to Timeline Tapes, you can email us at timeline at little.studios.com, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Those are both at TimelineWH. If you like this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and please leave a nice review. I've been Nate Fisher. This has been Timeline Tapes. Let's go down in history together.